What up, what up, Meepsters? This is Ryan Rainbro, and if you're hearing this, that means you're about to listen to one of the 99 free episodes of the Meep Meep podcast available wherever you cast pods. But keep in mind that there are new and unreleased episodes of the show on patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. So you'll want to sign up there to hear future episodes and also other side projects like Choo Choo, the show about soundtracks and contribute suggestions for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. Bye! Welcome to Meet Meet, the Roadrunner podcast, where we go through the albums of Roadrunner Records with the artists who made them and the musicians they influence. Let's roll. What up, what up, Meepsters? I'm Ryan Rainbow, and today we have a special spooktacular edition of the show. The 20th anniversary of the 2001 compilation album by The Misfits. Cuts from the Crypt, released October 30th, 2001, All Hallows' Eve, Eve. Remember Eve? She ate that fruit. What a weirdo. Hey, speaking of eating fruits, both guests today, including myself, so all three legends that'll be on this episode, are vegans. And we're going to start with a vegan vampire, Vampiro. Now, a big part of my fandom of the Misfits is their association with wrestling at the time that these Roadrunner albums were coming out. Famous Monsters came out in 99 on Roadrunner. Before that, in 97, they had American Psycho on Geffen, but Famous Monsters was a real big deal for me, and also this compilation, Cuts from the Crypt. I was in love with this record. I listened to it all the time, and, you know, back then, we had to actually buy CDs and listen to them all the way through. Maybe you millionaires had a skip button on your Kenwood, but not me. So I listened to every track, and I always found something new to like about them. And Vampiro was a part of World Championship Wrestling, and he's a big part of my childhood as well, and my current hood, my adulthood, is that what they call it? Am I an adult now? Probably not. But he was involved in the Insane Clown Posse's era of being in World Championship Wrestling, and then brought in the Misfits. So I thought, who better to tell me about being connected to the Misfits and that wrestling aspect of their careers than the man himself. So it was a real treat to get to talk to him. And then later on, we're also going to talk to Dr. Chud from the Misfits, who was part of that revamped lineup. So the Misfits, basically, to give you kind of a, a rundown here, you know, they broke up and then reformed in 95 with a new lineup with Dr. Chud, who we're going to talk to, like I said, and Michael Graves being the new vocalist coming into the fold. And to me, this was the Misfits. This is the only Misfits I knew for a very long time. And even though the quote-unquote original Misfits, well, not quote-unquote, I mean, they're the original Misfits, I guess no quotes necessary, are wildly heralded and still legendary, to me, this was my original Misfits. This was my original introduction into the band. These records are very important to me as are these people. So I'm excited to share these conversations with you. Let's get to Vampiro now. So just as a big wrestling fan, I mean, and also my age, the Misfits in the era that you were with them in WCW is kind of like my Misfits. Like I wasn't around really for for Danzig or anything like that. I mean, the when, when uh, American Psycho came out, that was like, to me, the introduction. So that colliding with my love of wrestling through you and also you coming off of being with ICP, which was another thing that I was getting really into at the time. I was really, uh, it's a very important moment, like a, a zeitgeist in my life. So yeah, um, yeah. how did you even become friends with them? Just being a, a big deal in Mexico. So they would come down and play shows and you met them that way or. No, man, I was one of those kids. I, I, I still have them. I have the original cassette tapes from the seventies of the misfits. I, I, I was a fan because you got to remember in the late seventies, uh, early eighties, when there was no MTV or certainly wasn't any internet, the underground was, was word of mouth or from the fansies like maximum rock and roll and all that kind of stuff. Or if you lived in a bigger city like Toronto or Montreal, it was very close to New York and Buffalo and, and Detroit so the bands would do this little thing, this little loop 
around all those towns and you would be involved in that scene. So the misfits were, were like forbidden fruit, you know, you could be a punk rocker and you could be a skinhead and you could be in the hardcore. But if you were into the misfits, you were the fucking devil. And, uh, you know, to get a hold of anything of the misfits, a cassette, anything was, was like uh, the Holy grail, you know, and especially I was, I was born in a real small town. So for me to find those cassettes, was was insane and then the imagery and all that kind of stuff so i was a fan um you know since i was like 11 years old or whatever and when i was throughout my life you know being a musician i was into punk rock as a musician way before wrestling i became a wrestler because i couldn't find um musicians to make the commitment to being in a band and I wanted to be on the road. I wanted to be entertaining people and wrestling was a great way to mix sports and punk rock. And, uh, I jumping ahead a couple decades, um, when I got the job in WCW, I explained to them what the character meant because I had been wrestling for 20 years before I went to WCW, I was nothing new. So when I went there, it was like, who's this rookie? And I was like, rookie, my, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> But I, I needed to do something different because I was really bored with who I had become. And I'll never forget, I was in a, uh, a 7-Eleven in some weird town in the United States driving, wrestling. And there was a, an alternative fancy. I don't fucking know what the name of that magazine was or why it was there. But it had a picture of Jerry Only on the cover. And it's an interview with Misfits Jerry only about new album. And I was like, I, I just was, I evidently bought the magazine and I read it and I was like, this is crazy. And it had the record company, it had Roadrunner and it had their address and phone number. I was like, I'm going to call and I'm going to ex- just lie my ass off and give them a pitch. And I did. And I called them and some dude answered and I was like, listen, I'm a fan this is what I do. Uh, I'm Vampiro and, and I, I've been involved in wrestling for a long time. And this character is, it's not a character. It's a, I went into the whole thing. I explained the light and the guy was like, I don't even know how to fucking answer you right now. I'm going to call the, I'm going to call Jerry and, and see what they say. Because I said, I would love to present the misfits to WCW, have them play live and I'll come out live. I said, no one's done that. And the image is so powerful on TV. I said, I could even play with the band and then go to the ring and bring the band with me. And we could just be this thing. It was mind boggling. And, and, and I got a hold of the band that way. And the guy called me back and he was like, yeah, dude, you guys have Monday Nitro in Minneapolis in three weeks. And across the street in Prince's nightclub, the Misfits are playing. I was like, this is fucking insane. So uh, we arranged the meeting and and uh, that's kind of how it went. I just showed up and they were there at the bar at uh, nine in the morning and they were misfitted the fuck out. They were the way you see them. That's the way they were at 9 a.m. And I was like, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm either going to run into the bathroom and, and, and jerk off or I'm going to join the band. And uh, we had a great meeting and everybody got along right away. And uh, Doyle, Doyle gave me his armbands and he gave me his um, things that he puts on top of his boots. And Doyle taught me how to paint my face like the skull. So we, we had this conversation and stuff. And we walked in to WCW production meeting. They gave me all the gear. And, um, I, you know, you got these guys in their 40s late thirties, early forties, misfitted the fuck out at 10 AM. And uh, they were like, Vamp, what are you doing? What's that? You know, cause all these rednecks from Atlanta in that area didn't under, you know, pro wrestling, even back then they weren't ready for Marilyn Manson. They weren't ready for Lucifer. They weren't ready for the misfits. They weren't ready for ICP. They weren't ready for anything. And I came in and they were like, can you come here? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, just tell us right now, do we need to call security? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? And it said, well, you have a devil cult out there with you. And I was like, that's the misfits. What the fuck are you talking about? So it worked because I convinced 
the office and the office was old school wrestlers from another generation. And they were like, what the fuck do you have in mind? And I, I told them and they were like, this is crazy. Go for it. And that's kind of how it happened. So that, that was it. And, and uh, it was mind boggling because I was a fan and I was like, I'm responsible for bringing the misfits to national television. It was, it was the coolest moment ever. And then the, the, the crazy thing is we became brothers. We became amazing friends. The album was phenomenal. That version of the Misfits live at that moment, um, even with the new, the, the, the old Misfits playing shows right now, the original Misfits, not even close. The energy back then, the volume, the power, uh, it was probably some of the best rock and roll shows I've ever seen live was the Misfits at that time. Yeah, I agree, because I feel like at the time they had like something to prove, whereas before they were already like established, they were trying to come back and be like, hey, you know, we're not just a uh, a reunion, we're, we're a brand new thing. And I feel like at that time they were just on fire. I don't think they had anything to prove. I think it was more like a confirmation. It was like, you motherfuckers heard the rumors, you all copied us, <laughs> you all do our songs, and this is what you're trying to be. And the Misfits, I mean, I've seen Metallica. I don't know, 20 something times. I, I, you know, I've seen all those bands at that level and uh, there is nothing compared to a Misfits show. Even, even, even when Jerry only, it was only Jerry only and, and uh, whoever would play with him that night, it was the Misfits. And there's something about the Misfits live because it's not a show. Those motherfuckers live that life. And uh, you know, they, when, when Jerry only, they had this, this video screen, big screen, and it would be scenes of monster movies. And then all of a sudden it would be Jerry only and Doyle and Chud and Mike walking down an alley, like, like the hallway. And it was black and white. And then all of a sudden they would come out and, and the lights would go out. And when the lights came on, they were on stage. It was fucking crazy. And Dr. Chud had these drum sets with these big spikes on it. And fuck, he was a monster like a beast you know what i mean and it was like this is this is the coolest thing that i've ever ever even imagined it was it was it was pretty mind-blowing to see them live yeah for sure well so you guys did the uh the of course like the live intro that you're talking about but then they kind of stay on the show weekly for a little while right yeah well i mean it because of the way they looked and you know doyle was in better shape than the whole fucking dressing room <laughs> i mean doyle, doyle was a beast and Doyle and I were kind of the same at that time, you know, size wise. And we just, we just, we just looked like bookends. And my thing, and the band was all for it. Well, everybody was except Jerry, I think. Um, and I, we were going to play like a, a bullet or we were going to play like 138 or something or last caress. And uh, because they were the easiest songs for me to learn. And we were going to play because it's like a minute, 30 seconds and then go to the stage uh, from the stage to the ring with explosions and all that shit. But Jerry and, and God bless him because obviously the band is athletic. You can look at them, right. And they, you know, they bring their weights and all the, all those things that they talk about, you know, we train in the parking lot and all that. That's not bullshit. Those motherfuckers do that. They're crazy. <laughs> and um, Jerry wanted to be a wrestler. And I was like, no, I want to be in the band. Cause like, no, I want to be a wrestler. And I was like, oh, fuck. So he went and talked to the office and the office was like, really, you guys want to go in the ring? Cause you look great and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, all of a sudden there we were, we were a new team. And because it was so impressive and Doyle was like, I don't want to fucking do this. And I was like, well, talk to your brother. What do you want me to do? And Michael was like, I'm not, I don't want to get my fucking head kicked in. I was like, just stay by me. And, and, and Chud, Chud was like, I don't want to fucking do this either. But Chud was the first guy to run in there, and they would always hit Chud first. And I was like, bro, just stay, stay behind me. No one's going to touch you. And everybody was cool with the Misfits. Everybody loved them. But then Jerry would start to come to the dressing room with, like, boxes, fucking boxes of Misfits T-shirts and shit, and he would give them out. It was awesome. But then Jerry wanted to be a wrestler. And I was like, dude, we can do this. No problem. But you got to be quiet, man. You can't be saying shit that you're saying in the dressing room. And because some of these guys, this is what they do for a living for the last 30 years. 
and they're not going to take too kindly your over enthusiastic uh, attitude. And he was like, ah, I was like, go ahead, dude. And he did. And he got his fucking ass kicked. And, and I feel bad for him. But even, you know, I didn't know it was going to happen, but I knew it was going to happen. Because I, I saw who they were putting us against. And it was me and Jerry only in a cage match against, with, you know, with Steve, Dr. Death Williams, who's notoriously one of the baddest motherfuckers who's ever been in pro wrestling. And he's got it. He had, in rest in peace, Steve, a chip on his shoulder. And he would fuck you up. And he would get off on that. And he looked at me. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I can't fight you. I can't defend my friend. And he was like, tell him to shut the fuck up and just listen to me and we'll get through this. And I was like, Jerry, I'm, it's, it's, this is a different thing. And, and I just remember him, ah, he'll be okay. And I, and I was like, oh, this is not going to go good. <laughs> and, and um yeah, you know, Steve hurt him. Steve, Steve tried to hurt him, and uh, that that was kind of the, uh, the 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 peak of that. And then after that, things kind of started to fall apart. The band was fighting amongst themselves. I got blamed for some stuff, and uh, Doyle Doyle was going through a personal situation. Jerry was going through a personal situation, and it all just came to a head. And yeah, I, uh, at least like you mentioned, he got rocked by. Steve Williams versus like, you know, like that's like somebody that anybody could be annihilated by. So it's not like a, an embarrassing person to get to beat up by, but I was going to ask you, but you kind of already answered that, that I didn't know if you being like a guy that I definitely see as like a big picture guy. Like I didn't know if you had a, a full vision for this run with the misfits, but it sounds like you were trying to kind of put the brakes on it. Like, no, we don't need to be wrestlers. The music thing is cool enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had a whole other thing and I had a, I had a whole other idea and it was quite um, thought out, but when it kind of fell apart, I, I, I didn't like being in WCW and I had an offer to go to Japan and uh, I, I was kind of, I, I just had a, a my, my baby was born, my daughter, you know, and my, my, my marriage wasn't going that great because I was on the road so much and just the pressures of life and Japan was two weeks on, one uh, two weeks off, two weeks on, two weeks off. WCW was seven days a week. So I thought to save my marriage, uh, it would be smarter to do Japan. I don't really give a fuck about WCW, you know? But then I broke my neck, and as I was in the hospital, WWE bought the company. Well, you mentioned you had a... Other ideas. So you just when you say in other ideas, you just mean doing like, did you want to have them continuously go out with you and be like your entrance man? And then eventually you become in the misfits and that's like part of the angle or uh I I don't think it got that far. I mean, I I wanted to have that interaction on the stage because I eventually wanted to play my own music and I thought that this was something cool, but I didn't, it wasn't like, I, I don't even re, I don't really remember, but I don't think it was like that. It was just cool to be around real icons. And I, and it, and it was just something that nobody had done that nobody else could do because I wasn't an actor. I was a punk rocker. I was a musician. I was a, a misfit devotee since the beginning so there was no acting. And I think that's what worked because it wasn't like a pro wrestler trying to fit in with these guys. It was like, we were brothers. Lucha underground had a lot of uh, kind of like guest bands that you would have like Mariachi El Bronx and uh, voodoo glow skulls. Were there ever any bands that you were pitching to them to try to bring in as like the house music, man, there was so much ego involved in that. <laughs> the person who was in charge of the music at that time, just, thought they knew everything and it, if it wasn't for them music wouldn't exist it was a blessing actually to have this person getting these shit bands um the voodoo glow skulls were awesome mariachi the bronx were great but there were some bands on there that was like you gotta be fucking kidding me you know they, they, <laughs> uh, but then again who am i to say who am i to judge who am i to have an opinion but they fucking sucked they just did and uh I understood it. I get it, but it wasn't cool at all. And 
if you really, really dig down deep, Lucha Underground was a copy of WSX, you know, the, uh, you know, the MTV show that we were on. And the MTV show, they had, you know, Good Charlotte, they had Black uh, Black Label Society, they had, uh, you know, Pitbull, they had all these other motherfuckers that were like dope-ass bands. And they took that concept and then they did it their way. And they and they wanted to make it Mexican wrestling in, in, in English. And it was like, do you not understand that we think you're stupid as fuck? You just don't get it. And they didn't because this whole, there is such a division between Latinos in the United States and real Latinos in South of the border. And in the United States, we're Latinos. We're Latinx. So what? You don't speak Spanish. You don't know fuck all about what's going on in your home country. And the shit that you're telling the audience that is Latino, what the fuck are you talking about? It's your version of something that you can't do in English. And because you're Latino, that's your excuse to get it on TV. And it was so, it was like, do you not understand if you put the right bands with this product, we could dominate the world and they wouldn't listen. So it's kind of like, hey man, it's your show. You know, do what you got to do. I love the Lucha Underground, and I'm, it's an honor to be a part of it. But it was so there were so many things behind the scenes, like they were getting funding for the from the government, right, for the whole channel. So they had to have Latino content on there. So you can't have a Latino show with Kiss, with Limp Biscuit. You know, you need right. Latino. And I was like, okay, but do you not know that there is a million fucking dope Latino rockabilly bands, punk bands, hardcore bands? Or you just gonna keep putting bullshit out there, and they chose bullshit. So we'll be back after a quick break. If you love good music and good podcasts, you'll love Roots Music Rambler. I'm Jason Falls. My co-host Francesca Folinazzo and I talk to the singers, songwriters, musicians, and more in Americana, alt country, bluegrass, folk, blues, and beyond. We share our own takes on the latest news in the space and recommend new music for you to explore every episode. Come get to the roots of the music you love. Find us at RootsMusicRambler.com or go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Roots Music Rambler. Do you have a favorite moment of interacting with uh, or a favorite moment with the Misfits during that run? Did you ever go to shows with them where they're playing shows and you're there too or anything like that? I know probably at some point in time, but during the same WCW time. Yes. The greatest memory I have in my one, one of the top five memories of my whole career was playing PlayStation NHL. I was Toronto Maple Leafs versus the New York Rangers, which was Michael Graves and Doyle and Chud. And we were just sitting in a room playing this fucking video game, just laughing our asses off. That was the, <laughs> that was the best. And I, and, and, and it was crazy because I was a hockey player and, and Michael was a hockey player. So Chud and Doyle sat back because me and fucking Mikey were into it. And it was like getting violent. You know what I mean? It was like, man, fuck you dog. And um, I ended up winning the game that bothers Michael to this day, but fuck Michael. I beat your fucking ass, dude. Fuck you and your fucking PlayStation skills, homie. I'm the king. I killed you. I think the score was like 37 to 36 or something like that. But it was a lot of fun. It was, it was, that, was, that was my my favorite moment ever with the Misfits. Thanks so much to Vampiro for sharing these stories and memories with us. And you can keep up with him on Instagram at Vampiro Voodoo. That's V-U-D-U on Instagram. He's doing a lot of cool things with radio and also still heavily involved in wrestling. A true legend and icon and just getting started, really. So we get on to another vegan legend and icon, Dr. Chud of the Misfits. So again, just some more background on this Cuts from the Crypt album. The Misfits had reformed. They put out the American Psycho album on Geffen. They get signed to Roadrunner and put out Famous Monsters. Well, they uh, some turmoil begins. Right? They kind of stop being a band. But Roadrunner, in the rare event where <laughs> Roadrunner wants the band to put out an album and the band doesn't want to, normally it's the other way around, you'll tell from this show. Normally the band's like, hey, can we put out another album? And Roadrunner says, no, that's okay. Roadrunner needs another album from the band. 
So they come up with the idea to put out cuts from the crypt because in the early stages of this reformation, a demo had come out called the Mars Attacks demo. It had been recorded, but was only available to the Fiend Club, the, the real hardcore in-the-know fans of the Misfits. So they compiled this original demo recorded with Steve Evitz, who you may have heard about from the Il Nino episode, the Sepultura episode, and probably future episodes. And we also have other B-sides and, and rarities throughout the uh, the Reformation years of The Misfits. And it's really a cool album. I mean, some really interesting things on here. You got the original version of Monster Mash, which Jerry only would go on to re-record in his 50s uh, you know, tribute record that he did as his version of The Misfits. You have the demos of Scream and Helena that have a, a different feel to them. You have One Million Years B.C., which is a banger. And also, you have the demo version of Scream, which Dr. Chud and I talk about. Scream originally written for the movie franchise, Scream, submitted to your boy Wes Craven. He wasn't feeling it. He said, hey, not enough rap rock or echo scratch on this. We're not using it. Uh, I don't know if that's actually what he said, but I imagine he used those exact words. Similar to on Mars Attacks, the song Mars Attacks on that Mars Attacks demo was written, hopefully, to be used in Tim Burton's movie, of the same name, Mars Attacks, based on the trading cards, which I certainly didn't know when I was ack-acking as a little kid watching that movie. But uh, Tim Burton also did not use the song. He was too busy hiring and firing Danny Elfman's live-in ex-girlfriend. Did you know Danny Elfman was an Oingo Boingo? Did you know that I helped compile an Oingo Boingo tribute album for Indianola Records in the mid-2000s? There's a lot of facts that you may be learning or not learning. And this is all for free. Can you believe this is for free? So we're going to talk to Dr. Chud about this compilation album. But the most important thing that I want you to know is that this album has a song called Dead Kings Rise on it. And actually, that was going to kind of be the anthem of this new Misfits. That's what American Psycho was going to be called. But the song didn't even make the album for some reason, but it's incredible. This album is actually really cool. You know, it's not on streaming services because it's too cool for them, but you can certainly listen to it on YouTube or you should already have the CD or 8-track or cassette or uh, what's another medium of, uh, of music? Hit clips, remember that? Maybe there's a cuts from the crypt hit clips, cuts from the clips. This is really good ideas and again, all for free. But I'm not going to waste any more of your time giving you incredible Shark Tank-worthy concepts. Let's go to Dr. Chen. No, people loved us back then. They loved us. We did not have backlash at all. Our shows were packed. Everyone had a good time. They loved the music. You know, it's, uh, I guess now when they're, they're back together, the original lineup, you know, when that's when the, everything started splitting up again. <laughs> I don't know. Everybody's jumping on the new bandwagon, you know. But back then, man, we had a great time. Everybody loved the music. I mean, everybody who came to the show, at least, there was, we never got any negative pushback back then we, we were playing every and we were getting bigger and bigger all the time the last few shows were in stadiums shit didn't end we had like eight more records <laughs> well we, um you know you coming into the band when uh it's kind of being reformed where you i know that you're more than just a drummer right you're kind of like a universal musician so was that an aspect yes. that they were excited about that you'd be able to add other elements or was that something you kind of let them know afterwards or how did that even kind of yeah i let them know that afterwards uh I was just going up there, like helping them out with the Christ the Conqueror stuff, but the drummer wasn't showing up, so I would just sit in. And after a while, they were just used to me being there. So with and, you uh, doing uh, the the Mars Attacks demos, you know, um, you do keyboards on that. So is that something that you added in afterwards, or while you're writing the songs, you're like, oh, you know, this would be a, a cool part here. Yeah, I do keyboards while they're mixing the record that's when i do my keyboards when they're mixing i'm back there playing with my headphones and then i tell them okay i'm ready <laughs> and they're like what do you got and i play it and they're like great <laughs> samples like that too while they're mixing the record 
I filled the record with samples that are cool that fit fit in at the very end. Yeah, you know, it's a last minute game, rock and roll. Nothing's finished until the last second's up. You do uh, American Psycho and Famous Monsters with um, Daniel Ray, but the Mars Attacks demos are done with Steve Evitz, right? Oh, yeah. He was good. He's a great engineer. Yes. I so, can't believe we worked with him. <laughs> yeah, well, it does yeah. seem like a, a, a strange, um, in a good way, though. You know, he's kind of from a more like almost hardcore background. You know, Yes. Kind of, so, um, and I think that comes out in those those demo versions of those songs that, of course, later we hear on other albums. They're much more uh, aggressive and raw. And uh, I didn't know if that was him kind of bringing that out of you, or just you know, if that's just naturally how they sounded at the time. I actually like those demos a lot, a real lot. And um, I love the drum sound. And it was the only time I actually used the giant drum set, the one I used for tour. The big giant drum set I had with the spikes I used for the demo. I, I love them, them demos tracks. I don't know why. Maybe it was Evitz, but uh, after that, I used a, a Yamaha kit, recording kit for everything else I've ever done. But um, well, that's the only time I used that big giant kit was for those demos. And I actually really like the sound of that those demos. And the kind of the standout of those demos is the kind of, you know, epic Dr. Fibes Rises Again. That's like the six or seven minute song. I know you guys kind of used a little bit of it for Famous Monsters, but um, do you remember coming up with that song and really kind of planning out that it was going to be this, you know, big, long track versus just a, a normal Misfit song? Was that something you guys were deliberately trying to kind of make a, a big end off for that EP? Hmm, I don't know. Those long songs were like a Doyle and Jerry thing. Uh, I like shorter songs. You know, we all took turns, and we were pretty diplomatic and d- democratic about stuff back then on that, that time. I think things changed later on, but actually might have been changing right there during that time. We, we called in a couple of writers, which we I thought we didn't have to. <laughs> you know, like, we're, we're great writers. What are we calling in other guys for? <laughs> that was a weird thing. I mean, I, I, I was so in the moment, and I'm... Um, always thinking about music and what my part is never never worried about money or that other stuff and uh i just thought it was weird putting that record out i think i even didn't sign off on it they were gonna give me money and i was like i really don't think we should do this guys i mean why can't we put another record out what's going on but little did i know i think there was some kind of contract thing had to be says signing off on this record is this really going to be a record (laughs) (laughs) i didn't sign it so um i knew i knew the powers to be were going to just roll the ride me anyway but uh i think i eventually signed it like 10 years later (laughs) i was like well there's no stopping this if i ever wanted to not that i wanted to but i just wanted to say hey i wish we could really just make another record we did do a couple original songs on there that were great. It was like, Feeding Without a Face is a friggin' beautiful song. Absolutely beautiful. Um, we could have made a million of them. Really, the <laughs> record as a whole is pretty awesome. You have that, you know, the first six songs, of course, that are the Mars Attacks demos. But then after that, I mean, all, the, all these little, you know, B-sides or whatever you may want to call them, kind of extra tracks, they, they do make up a, a pretty cool album, so... It's a bummer that uh, if you're saying you had, you feel like, you know, more original material that could have gone on here instead of just kind of, um, I guess for lack of a better word, leftover stuff, you know, because this was all. Yeah, I just wish it was like 16 new tracks, you know what I mean? No, I agree. <laughs> been cool. <laughs> does, this have, does this have New York Ranger on it? It does. Oh, I would have never put that on a record. With uh, no. John as the vocalist, I believe. Yeah, well, what's that about? I don't know. Why Why is he on the record? Well, I know this is kind of the end of the time with Roadrunner, but do you remember going from American Psycho to uh, Famous Monsters and going from, you know, like kind of a, a major label like Geffen to Roadrunner? Do, were you guys excited about that, hesitant about it being kind of a more metal label historically? Or do you remember what the, the feeling was in the band at the time? <laughs> I probably thought, what the hell are we getting off Geffen for? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what I was thinking. Like, 
I thought they were the best, uh, the biggest record company in the world or something, right? I don't know. Were they, weren't they? Them and Warner Brothers or something? But, uh, you know, I think Nirvana was on that label then, Guns N' Roses. I'm like, why are we leaving this label? Um, but, you know, I, I have nothing to do with the business, so I just asked the question once and that's it. Uh, you know, I went back to my music mind. Uh, I was really in, in, involved with writing and just doing my part, making sure my part was 100% all the time. I'm sure I went along with it, like, oh, Roadrunner's a good record label. All right, well, let's do this. <laughs> I'm sure I, I, in the end, I said that. And and uh, it was. I mean, I liked everybody. So I'm sure I, I wasn't, like, against it. I definitely wasn't against it. Uh, it's great to be on a record label at that time, right? You know, in this Roadrunner era of the band, you end up being on WCW Monday Nitro for several weeks with uh, Vampiro. Was the label excited about you being on this, you know, national television platform every week? It's fun. And it really put us out there. Uh, I have kids coming up to me still and saying they got into it because of wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> so it was definitely a good thing. Uh, um. I wish we could have done that longer, too. <laughs> that was fun. Were you yeah. a wrestling fan when um, you were younger? Not really. That was Chief Day Jay Strongbow days <laughs> in the 70s. Yeah, my my brothers were into it, so that's the only way I saw it. Yeah, I wasn't into much but music my whole life, really. I'm not into movies. I'm not into nothing but music. I love music. Even yeah. like horror movies? Yeah, I mean, I read a lot of horror when I was younger, before they were in movies. But um, that's all. I guess I was into horror back then that way. But movies, I, I don't know. I have a hard time sitting sitting down. Well, where does the name Dr. Chud come from? That came from uh, the guitar player from Dan Kidney and the Pulsations named me Chud. He said he just turned around one night while we were playing and the first thing that came to my his head was what a chud after watching me play and then uh everybody just kept calling me that and then when i uh started doing sardonica music uh with that band uh sal b said start calling me dr chud and everybody started calling me dr chud after that uh, he said, I asked him just recently, why did, why did you call me Dr. Sh-? He goes, oh, at the time, everybody was doctor, like Dr. Trey, Dr. This, Dr. That. <laughs> so I just added doctor to your name. <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's cool. Well, you got your PhD through Dr. Dre. That's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, names, uh, uh, nicknames uh, go far. <laughs> Yeah, if you have a good nickname like Ryan Rainbow, yeah, <laughs> you go far. <laughs> it sticks. Nicknames are important. Well, like we were saying, uh, New York Ranger has uh, John Caffiero. It has him on vocals. He uh, commonly would do you your music videos, and uh, one of the music videos he ends up not doing is for the song Scream. Romero does the music video for that, and the demo version of Scream is on Cuts from the Crypt. And the reason why John didn't do the video is because he was doing a exploitation film with the insane clown posse called Big Money Hustlers, and you are in this movie. Yeah. And I own it on VHS. It's right behind me. <laughs> Good times. What were your experiences with the insane clown posse? We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your, in your little, you mean? Yeah, yeah. We all, we all artists over here, man. I'm trying, all right? Oh, yeah. I'm trying, yeah. I'm, trying, oh, I'm, trying, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. yeah. Hey, me, me. We all artists, man. We go, you feel me? We going to have this, like, bro, me and my man, like, me and my man, Kyle, we be like, I don't know. We play, we play with this <laughs> shit right now. I ain't going to lie. We play with this shit right now, for real, for real. I ain't going to lie. Don't play with it. Take that shit, sir. 
Oh, it was fun. Everything was fun. I don't know. There was some drama after that, too. Always drama. I don't know what's going on. Everybody was nice to me. I get along with everybody. I'm nice to everybody. I'm a fun Google. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like the uh, George Romero take on doing a Misfits music video? Any any more or less than uh, what you guys had done before? That was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Great working with him. Great guy. I mean, it seems fun. like such a uh, a fitting match, you know, you guys doing. Uh, it, George Romero seems like he should have been doing all the music videos. Not No disrespect to yeah. John. Just like, you know, the name recognition and association seems like it all kind of goes together. Perfect matchup. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Wow. Yeah, we should have jumped on that more. <laughs> well, you mentioned, you know, kind of after the, the fact and with the mixing, that's when you're adding in these uh, extra elements. Were there any songs that you wanted to kind of have more time with that because like you said, rock and roll's a hundred miles an hour. You didn't get to really work with as much that you wish you could have kind of churched up a bit. Only thing, only thing I have is, um, when they were mixing famous monsters, the producer was editing my drums and, uh, I didn't really like it. Uh, he edited like one or two and I was like, God, that, yeah, it ain't going to work, man. Let me do it. And uh, he said, all right. And gave me it. And I started editing them. And they came out great. Brilliant. You need a drummer to edit drums because he knows the feel and the beat. And if something's not right, uh, he, he has different perspective, I think, than somebody who's not a drummer, maybe. I don't know. Either that or I'm just good at editing. I think that's what it is, really. I'm just really, really good at editing video or music. I'm really good at it. I love sitting there for... 12, 15 hours, one shot editing. I've I've edited records where I sit there editing and mixing until I puke, actually puke from looking (laughs) at the screen that long. I love editing. So yeah, it worked out after that, but I wish I went back and fixed the two that weren't perfect. I wish they were perfect because they were good songs. I know one of them was uh, Lost in Space, but uh, I can't remember the other one. Like like editing... A sample of drums and like re-editing it that way, or can you tell me a little bit more? No, about he, what he was doing, like I would record the drum track three times, and then he would like, if one section was a little sped, sped up, he'd put, he'd clip it out and put a normal section in there that from another take. If you know, it's a forever thing. You, you the records are forever. You want to make sure they're they're perfect. You get the idea across. If it's too live, uh, you might not get the idea across. I mean, back in the 70s, you had to do everything <laughs> one shot, but <laughs> right. it's not like that anymore. Yeah, those days are over. You could suck and just run through a take once, and they'll fix it with a bunch of buttons now. Well, Scream, Lost in Space, I mean, lots of Misfit songs are all kind of based on or seem like they draw influence from different uh, films and things like that. And with you saying you know, how involved in the music – specifically you are but that it's kind of a a democratic process at this time were you guys collaborating on oh we should write a song like about this or or they're just kind of coming at you with the idea and you're just worried about your drums uh we all came down with songs and we jam on them and if we all looked at each other and said yeah hey hey, that's a good one (laughs) and then then it made it that's it it was uh like in american cycle we were all paid to evenly Everything was even. There was no drama. You, just the best song wins. It was great. That's the way all bands should be. That's the only way you're going to get great music like all the time. So everything is just, everybody gets paid evenly, so the best song wins. I think things changed after that a little bit. It was like, all right, whoever song gets on the record gets paid. So that, that, that there goes the whole dynamic, you know? Of course, the guy who owns the band is going to pick more hit more of his songs. So it's, it's no more best song wins. It's, hey, uh, I want more of my songs on there because I want more money. So I knew that was the demise of the band right there. Once you start changing up the dynamics like that, I could try as, you know, on Famous Monsters, I think uh, they act like five of my songs. They were great. <laughs> I thought they were great. I, they act like five of them. And they only kept like two or three. And uh, so that's the way that went. And and it was uh, kind of the end. Uh, things changing like that it shouldn't changed. 
everybody should get paid equal, so you don't have to worry about nothing. You just worry about the music, writing the best song you can, and whoever writes the best song wins. You know, gets it on their record, and everybody gets paid equally, no matter what. We're a band. Uh, it was a great time during the American Cycle. It was just best song wins, but uh, after that, it changed. So, are there songs on these albums? In this case, even with the those demos that we're talking about that are on this compilation, that you would come with more than you know, like a, a guitar line, or or more than more of the song than just the the drum track or a keyboard part. You actually had like a kind of song structure already that you're bringing to the table. Yeah, I pretty much had a structure. Everything pretty much there. Um. Uh. Yeah, Doyle had a little bit hard time playing my guitar parts. I'm a very strange guitar player. My riffs are, uh, I guess because I'm a drummer, they're percussive and just different. And uh, maybe that's why uh, the last album, he kind of didn't want a lot of my songs on there. We're just, I, I have a weird guitar playing style. Um, yeah, I'd come down with the full song. And uh, we'd, we'd rehearse it a while, and I'd record everything. I still have everything. Every every rehearsal we ever made, did, I recorded uh, just for myself. Just so I, you know, see where my speeds are at, uh, see if I'm, how I feel when I'm playing this, and see how I feel the next day if I'm playing it differently. Yeah, I just analyzed my playing so much. Uh, I, loved, I loved playing so much. I loved recording all the time. I have boxes of cassettes up in the attic. <laughs> you got any floppy, I have floppy discs? discs? I have floppy disks. I have uh, the ones that came after that. Uh, what were they called? A little thicker. Uh, well, they still I called forgot. them floppy disks, even though they were solid as hell, because they had the little floppy disk inside the square. Yeah, we even recorded all the shows. I had like a multi-track recorder in my rack system. Um, every night, it'd be doing multi-track recordings just for the hell of it i was into all that shit is that where like the evil live 2 album comes from it's like your recordings yeah yeah came right from my my drum rack had a two stack drum rack one on top of each other i think it's 16 space racks two on top of each other huge setup samplers keyboards uh recording devices uh Mixing boards. I had my own Meyer system. I mean, I even brought my own Meyer system uh, to the shows because I was so tired of going to venue after venue and just night after night being like the Myers, like sounding different every night and sometimes just horrible. It's like, all right, I'm going to squash this problem. I'm bringing my own monitors. Every night was the same. It was great. Every night I heard the band exactly the same. I, I would mic up the amps myself, the guitars, drums. I would have splitters for the vocals going right to my rack. It was, I was micing up the whole band myself for myself. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, and go through my boards, my own boards, my own recording equipment. And I would go home and mix it and see how good I did. And, and eventually, uh, I remember on the plane, with uh, sitting next to Jerry, said, "Hey, well, we'll come out with another live album, man. I, I think I got enough material." He's like, "Good idea." I remember him drawing the, starting to write "Evil Live 2 on the, on a piece of paper, and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 let's do that." So I, I went back, and and it was kind of a stressful thing going through all the tapes because <laughs> I had so many. But that's what I do. I love doing that shit. So I, I would spend weeks and weeks just going through all the tapes and be like, "All right." I like that one. Let's take that one. You know, and just I and picked them all and just threw them on that record. So, Good representation of the band. Yeah, and there's so many shows yeah. on that record too, so that makes sense because you were just recording all of them, which is crazy. You are the drummer, yep. you are the sound guy, you're recording. Yes. <laughs> Jerry used to say in interviews, uh, "I was worth two guys." <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like it. You're doing everybody's job, which is, I mean, that's incredible. Can you give me an example of uh, one of the songs that you would have wrote the rip for so I can have an idea of this, like, percussive style that you're talking about? Oh, definitely. Uh, the Crimson Ghost. A 
but, but I think it was more more the new songs that I was coming down with, which ended up on my my uh, solo record, like Spider Baby. He had a problem, with, I think, and um, definitely uh, the song called Heavy Metal, which I even had a hard time playing. It's, it's fast and it's uh, fingers trying to move a little bit fast, but uh, but there's nothing wrong with that. He has his own style, you know. Definitely doesn't mean he's a bad guitar player. No, no, not at all. No, that makes sense. <clears throat> I, I, I think even when I saw you guys on the Famous Monsters tour, I feel like it. You guys opened with a song from that, like a Doctor Chud song. Yeah, we might have played a couple of them live just to see <laughs> what our reaction was or something, or if we could pull it off. Yeah, we've done that a lot. I remember that vividly that I, I remember somebody telling me it was a Dr. Chud song. Like I was stupid. <laughs> like I was like, Oh, what's this song? And they're like, Oh, it's, you know, creepy church. By Dr. Chud. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I didn't right. Know. Did you guys take any I bands on tour with you for any of these, these tours in those years? We toured a lot with, with, uh, Anthrax, Quar, Life of Agony. Those were the main ones. Oh, Typo Negative. We were really good friends with them. Yeah, those are fun tours. I love Life of Agony. What is like your favorite moment of making these? I mean, you have all these tapes and stuff, and I know that maybe your favorite moment you'll remember when you get to go through the, all these archives that you have. <laughs> but right now, what do you remember as something uh, that was just your favorite moment of making these records? Oh, God, I'd be here sitting here a half hour thinking, uh, favorite thing making the records. I I loved making uh I remember making uh American Psycho and uh, the engineer. He was so cool. I I loved to work with him. He would always come in after he done get done mixing. He would come into the room and he would look at me. And goes, well, let's see if it's Chud worthy. Come on in, Chud. <laughs> I loved that, and uh, I'd go in and listen to it. That made me feel good. You know, somebody who actually cared about what the musicians thought. Just didn't just roll over them and say, this is it. You know, I loved uh, waking up and like jogging around castles in the morning by myself. Wherever we were, I would just go explore and then come back to the bus. Everybody would be waking up. Where were you today, Chud? Oh, I went around this one castle. It was great. And I saw this, I saw that. Uh, I would do that every day. That was great, seeing the world like that. We were we did over 60 countries. So I have over 60 countries worth the video. I got to look at now. Um, I love touring. Touring's the best part. I could tour all year round. The world is my girlfriend. Did you feel pressure to like stay in, in misfit shape throughout the whole time that you were on tour? pressure mm, sure man it wasn't pressure it was just what we were doing and the weights are out and what are you gonna do walk past them <laughs> no you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna jump in there and i uh, that was it yeah you know, nothing wrong with being in shape um i'm still i still out and it, so it, it's a lifelong thing now it's a thing you do that was a cool part of it too, getting in shape all the time and just being in shape and it ended up being something you just do now, which is great for when you're getting older. You don't have to work. I don't have to work hard at it. It's If I miss a week or two, I bounce right back because of all my muscle memory. Did Michael ever work out with you guys? Because, you know, he was uh, so much smaller than the rest of you, but also, you know, maybe that was kind of the, the visual dynamic you were going for. He worked out, yeah. He definitely worked out with us. Uh, maybe not as much, but he definitely kept in shape, I think. Just um, really watching this old WCW footage, it's really glaring how he's like so much smaller than you. You, you know, you guys are like <laughs> just giants, and then he's he's like kind of so, – I mean, he's probably like still even bigger than me then, but just looking at him compared to everyone else he's around at that time, he just looks so small. It's, uh, it, it's a, a little glaring. Maybe he was the type to uh, go for the last – Two pushes, you know. I was. I would always tell them, "Ah, oh, one more, one more," you know, and I push it hard. You know, maybe he just did it enough to stay in shape. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because you you had that did, wide um, back too, man. You were like, you know, those lats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
you know what? That actually did cross my mind when we were doing the, those uh, Roadrunner stuff. I'm like, this producer's like, I think younger than me. And I, I'm like, I think this A&R guy's like my, younger than me. I'm like, wow. All right, I'll go with it. <laughs> <laughs> do, they, do they know more than me? I don't know. I've been through the fucking ringer. <laughs> I used to play three nights a week for like 15 years in clubs and I produce records too. And hmm, I guess they know something more better than I do. What's that? <laughs> was Michael significantly younger than you also since he was kind of coming in? Oh man, was he younger than me? Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. He was 19. Maybe I was 32. So, so did you have those same kind of thoughts? Like, I don't know if, uh, you know, I'm going to be in a band with this, this younger guy or no, excited. Cause I try, I, I was the one who got Michael in the band actually, cause they didn't want him. Oh. I thought Michael was it. I, I said to myself, this is the guy definitely. And, um, they didn't want him. They, I'm like, well, we'll bust, you know, make him work out. We'll get big. And he's got a great voice. Oh no, no. We'll try Dave Vadian. We want Dave Vadian. And they tried doing that and it didn't work out. So I'm like, come on, let's call, call Mike. And they're like, no, no, no. And I think I just, I said, Mike, I called up Mike and I think I just said, no, come down to rehearsal with me. Just, just come to hang out. So we started coming out down to hang out. And that's how it happened. Eventually they were like, all right, we'll give him a shot. So what was it that convinced them that he was the guy? I don't remember. Probably me talking them into it. I thought it was great. I thought he was perfect. Uh, we had 30, 40 people come down singing. Uh, <laughs> I said, this was the guy. I mean, all the singers got a recording of them trying out. Do you have like that database of all these tryouts of uh, the misfits? I probably have the actual reel to reel because I was, re- I was doing the recording. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing it on an 8-track reel-to-reel at that time, TAC. Yeah, I got all that. Um, um, you know, I, I understand, you know, the, the next step has to be perfect and right. And I, I guess they were just weren't sure because, you know, you got to follow Glenn. So it's got to be good. And they, they probably were just scared to make a move. It has to be a big name or something. But uh, we couldn't get any big names. No, I mean, I love, I love the records. I love Michael's voice. I love the songs. I mean, yeah. I, I think even people that are critical of that time frame of the Misfits, they'll also kind of follow it up with. But you know, Dig Up Her Bones is really great. You know, I mean, they still have things they love yeah. about it. So it's almost like they're not willing to just accept that it's sick. But um, but no, I, I have no criticism about the the sound. If anything, like I told you, you know, this is what I knew. That's all I knew. Yep. A lot of people, a whole generation of people love that band. I'm into the other band. We got them into the other band half the time. The, the original lineup. Oh, now, right, they didn't right. know about misfits at all until they heard our records. And they were like, Oh, there was a misfits before this misfits. And you know, that's how they got, you know, Jerry kept it alive, kept us relevant, you know, kept the band relevant. Who knows what would have happened if he never did that and 40 years go by. Maybe nobody would have been into the Misfits right now. Because uh, you're saying, you know, instead of doing this compilation, you're like, oh, why can't we just do another album? But I feel like by the time this album comes out, the band is already kind of dissolved, right? Like Jerry or Jerry's the only one really left with the Misfits. Yeah, album. I mean, you know, Jerry's so far ahead of me as far as thinking where the band's going because, you know, it's his band, so he goes to sleep dreaming where he wants the band to be. I have no idea. Um, it was all crazy when he wanted to break up the band to me. It was like, oh, it sucks. It sucks. Ah, it sucks. Uh, I know things were getting weird later on. Everybody was getting a little tired of each other, maybe, or just, I don't know. You know, bands don't last more than six years a lot most of the time. No, whoever, Guns N' Roses, whoever. It just don't last long. It's hard to keep a band together. Uh, when you're young, too, it's probably even harder.
Thanks so much to the abominable Dr. Chud for taking the time to help celebrate the 20-year anniversary of Misfits Cuts from the Crypt with me, with artwork by Pusshead on the cover. I almost forgot to mention that. You know, Pusshead, of course, famously worked with Metallica early on, but in the Roadrunner canon, he comes up quite a bit. He did the artwork for this album. He was the artist for the Downer album, also in 2001. And he also did the artwork for the band Rest in Pieces with Armand from Sick of It All on vocals. He's the drummer for Sick of It All, but he's the vocalist of Rest in Pieces. That was covered in the Hawker Records episode way back when, one of the earlier ones with John Bellow, who ran that uh, kind of division of Roadrunner. So worth checking out. But Pusshead, another icon involved with the Misfits, who also had George Romero. I mean, the tentacles go everywhere, like a like a sea monster that they might write a song about. But if you want to keep up with Dr. Chud, and also he's an artist himself, you can get some custom-painted drumsticks from the man. You can go to drchud.com, and he's got lots of cool different things on there, his solo records that are also great, and as well as T-shirts and, uh, you know, probably koozies. If he doesn't have a koozie, doctor, if you're listening, doc, I'd love a koozie. My drink, too cold to hold with my hand. But that is the show. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today and every day that you hang out. And if you're doing this for the first time, come back, would you? They're all good. Well, except there's two of them. There's two of them that aren't very good. But most of them, I mean, there's like 60 of them. It's a pretty good ratio. But in the meantime, you can follow the show on Instagram at meetmepod. You can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can support the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash meetmepod. Or you can just tell a friend. That's all I ask. That's the best thing you can do. My name is Ryan Rainbow. This is Meet Meep. And yes, that's the best that I can come up with. Bye. Bye.